look to the scripture, we've been in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so today we're going to take kind of a weekly, a week break from the Sermon on the Mount. And instead we're headed to Genesis. Uh, last week in the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about how in the modern church we really wrestle with the Old Testament and what's in the Old Testament and some of the stories there. Well, today we're going to tackle kind of one of those stories. And, uh, and I pray that uh, it'll help you um, wrestle with some things as we look at the life of two ladies who both eventually were moms, but in this part of the story, uh, only one was a mom, and that's the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. And uh, so I hope you'll join me. At this uh, We were doing this scripture in our men's small group this week, and it just kind of struck me in a way that I wanted to share it with us a little more deeply this morning. And so, uh, from, if you have your Bibles, if you've got them on your phone, you may want to check out Genesis chapter 16. And uh, here is the story of Father Abraham. Um, he's in Canaan. He's been in the promised land for about 10 years. And uh, he still doesn't have an heir. He still doesn't have any children. And so uh, God has promised to make him into a nation, has promised to bless him, has promised to give him children, and he trusts that God's going to do that. Um, but in this story, Sarah and Hagar kind of enter uh, in their own way. And so here's how it goes. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. So go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So Abram agreed to what Sarah said. And so after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Now, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And so then Sarah said to Abraham, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant, and so she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abram replied, Your slave is in your hands. So do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, and so he fled from her. Now the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was in the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You're now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility toward all his brothers. 
So she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. That is the well of the one who sees. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abraham gave, gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Can you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help me lift you up today. Um, I just pray that you will speak your love, your presence, your power into our hearts and lives. Because I know on days like this, it's a day of goodness and joy for many people. It's also a tough day. And for some, it may be a tough season. And so I pray, help us. Help us know your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I said, we're kind of looking at the story of two moms today, Sarah and Hagar. Uh, now, Sarah isn't a mom yet. Uh, she was stuck. Now she's in 75 years old. Uh, she thinks her days are past of being able to have children. And uh, so she's probably kind of given up on the whole being a mom kind of thing. Uh, but she will be in for a surprise in another 15 years, something like that. <laughs> but we see her challenge with that desire to be a mom, that desire to uh, have children. And, and like even some in our day, that opportunity had not come. And she thought, in fact, it had passed her by. So I'm sure if they had had Mother's Day uh, 3,900 years ago or so, uh, it probably wouldn't have been a day where she would have been very happy. But we also see the story of Hagar. Now, Hagar was becoming a mother. She was the new mom on the horizon. Um, but she lived at a time and in a place where she didn't sign up for this role. She didn't really sign up for this job. Um, very likely, she would have come into Abram's family just at, within the last year or two. She was from Egypt. So my guess is she probably couldn't speak any Hebrew at all. Uh, she has left her home country. She is stuck with this family that she didn't really ask for. And now she's stuck with a husband she really didn't ask for either. And so even for Hagar, it was not an ideal situation um, that many of us would aspire to uh, in a family. And it's in the midst of this story that we see how in life we all face certain moments, whether men, women, moms, whatever, we all face certain times in life when life is tough. When life is tough, and when the temptation comes, like Hagar, to just throw in the towel, give up, and run away. And so that's the, the heart that we want to look at this morning, is this story of what, what hope is there when life seems pretty darn hopeless. 
Now, before we get to that, last week in my message on the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about our struggles with modern culture to wrestle with the stories of the Old Testament, right? Remember, we kind of talked about, well, here, you know, now I pick this story, which is like the perfect example of why we wrestle with the Old Testament, right? I mean, here we have Abraham marrying a second wife uh, with his first wife still there. Uh, we have the family dynamics. Now, this is Abraham and Sarah. These are like the, the founders of uh, the God movement in our world. And yet we see a story where their family uh, was having issues and challenges and in some ways appeared quite dysfunctional in this moment of time. And, and it was a family of faith. It was a family where Abram had already said, yes, Lord, I trust you're going to give me someone to be my heir and it's not going to be Eliezer from Damascus. It's, it'll be somebody uh, that will be my own child. And, and so as they wrestle with all these things, we see, slave, we see the dynamic of slavery. We see the story of Ishmael. And Ishmael, of course, comes in in the modern times as Islam has connected their heritage to the Abrahamic covenant through Ishmael. I mean, there are so many dynamics I could kind of get into this morning and so many little nuances and places we could crawl in and through and, and, and all those things. Um, and so I'm going to take just a little bit of time just to do a little bit of that um, until we get to the heart of the story, in which the heart of the story is what do we do when we feel like we're ready to run and hide? And so a couple of these dynamics. First of all, I think one of the issues that people have wrestled with in the Old Testament is the issue of uh, Abraham having multiple wives, right? We don't do that anymore. That's not appropriate anymore. It's not pro proper anymore. But we have to understand 4,000 years ago, it was much more normal. And there are some reasons for that, which we can kind of learn from. Uh, one of the things I do want to point out with the story is notice that Abraham did not seek to, to be married to more than one wife. He was content with Sarah and Sarah alone. In the story, it's kind of shared that it's kind of her idea. Uh, you know, she feels bad. And in the ancient world, to be a wife and not a mother, I mean, that was like one of the biggest curses uh, that, that you could go through. And so we know this moment in history, it's got to be hugely tough for Sarah. Now, if she had lived in today's world, right, well, there are options. There's in vitro fertilization, right? There's all this amazing technology that if you want to have a baby in this day and age, science can kind of intervene and help tremendously with that. And so one of the dynamics we have to understand historically is in their day, they didn't have in vitro fertilization. They didn't have the sperm banks or the other ways to kind of navigate these situations, right? And so if you are a family without an heir, that's a big deal. To have an heir for your family leaves a legacy. Abraham was a very wealthy guy. Uh, he was a sheep herder, but he was one of the probably wealthiest sheep herders around. He had under, under his care, he, he had an army of about 300 men, right? Which means they probably had wives. So in Abraham's contingent, we're talking about 
he is a clan, this one guy is a clan of like 600 people probably. And he has no heirs. And in the ancient world, that's a big deal. Because you want to leave this legacy for your family. And so if you don't have those options, then what Sarah expresses at the moment, that was their in vitro fertilization option. Sarah had picked up Hagar in Egypt just within the last year or two. She was newly arrived. Sarah's at her wit's end. She thinks, well, uh, God has promised Abraham children. Uh, Let me just let let him have Hagar. So Abram says yes. And... uh, And on the flip side, we notice a couple of other things. The flip side of this is that as the story is shared, it is clear, first, that Abraham and Sarah did not talk to God about this decision at all. And whenever in the Old Testament you get a story with someone making a decision without praying about it, the results are always going to be not good results. The second thing we see, right, is whenever there's a story in the Old Testament about a family with uh, multiple women in the family, uh, there is always more chaos, there is always more uh, challenge, there is always more uh, broken dynamics. So when the Bible talks about these stories, it's always... There's always kind of this negative slant to it as well. And so we kind of see all those dynamics in this story. Uh, Their choice blows up in their face. Hagar, uh, when she conceives and realizes she's pregnant, immediately begins kind of nyan-nyan Sarah and picking on Sarah. And Sarah's going to, she's not having any of it. So she goes back and blames Abram. Abram says, well, Sarah, she's your handmaid. Do what you want with her. And uh, so Sarah probably does something uh, that's abusive, clearly abusive. And so Hagar's had enough. And she skips town and heads out the door. And uh, so with all these things going on, um, what I see is this. So there are some things that are very different in this story from 2,000 years ago, right? Or actually, sorry, from 5,000 years ago. Um, There are other dynamics in this story that it could be any family that we know of in our lives today, right? Um, Because in life today, uh, there are some crazy families out there, right? Where maybe you've been divorced and remarried and so you've got kids and stepkids and step-stepkids, and, and it's kind of this big conglomerate, and you're trying to get along with uh, the, the former ex-wife or the former ex-husband, and navigating all those things in our modern culture is just as ugly and messy and challenging today as it would have been back then, right? Um, and so that's part of the lesson, is that for how much life has changed in the modern world, um, Family life can still be kind of a mess. And that's part of the story here, is that in this case, when Sarah decides to discipline Hagar, who's her slave, 
Hagar's had enough of it. She's out of there. She wants to head home. She starts running back to Egypt. And notice in the story, does Sarah go after her? No. Does Abraham go after her? No. There was one, though. One who went after her when nobody else did. Right? And that's the Lord. And that's the part of the story that still speaks to us here 5,000 years later. In this story, the woman in the story who is property, the woman in the story who had the least value, the woman in the story who, in the ancient world, if she had died out there in the desert, probably not a whole lot of people would care. Hagar was at the very bottom of the social status totem pole. The very bottom. And when Sarah doesn't run after her, and Abram doesn't run after her, even Sarah, God runs after Hagar. God runs after Hagar. And y'all, for the first book of the Bible, some of the earliest stories from Scripture, that's huge. You know, a lot of times we think of the God of the Old Testament as this mean, old, tough judge, you know, the beard with white hair, getting ready to zap and judge, you know. Why can't the God of the Old Testament be like the God of Jesus? Well, I got news for you. He is. It's the same God. A God who loved the least person on the totem pole in ancient history. A person who the rest of the world had considered she's worthless except maybe she could be a handmaid for a rich person's family. It's her that the Lord goes after. It's her that the Lord finds. It's her that the Lord hears her prayers and says, I have seen your misery. Hagar, I've seen your tears. I know you didn't want to be a part of this family. I know you wish you were at home in Egypt, able to talk in your native language. But Hagar, you're not. And Hagar, I hear you. I hear you. And Hagar, I see you. You're not alone. You're not as lost as you think you are. You are precious and valuable to me. And so, Hagar, go home. Not home to Egypt. Go home to Abraham and Sarah. Do your part. Don't add to the drama in the family. Submit to Sarah. She's been put in charge of your life. But submit to her. It's not going to be a perfect family. But if you'll trust me, I promise. I promise you're going to have a son. And you're going to name that son Ishmael because you will remember that the Lord heard you 
when you felt most alone. And that son will one day not be a slave, but he'll be a leader of men and people and nations. He'll be a guy that can do whatever he wants, however he wants to. If he wants to be contrary to the rest of his brothers, he can do that. If he wants to, you know, there's this picture of he wants to be a wild, crazy guy living it out on his own. He's going to be able to do that. So, so Hagar, trust me and go home. And brothers and sisters, I, I think there is a gift here for us too. In those moments where we're ready to pack up and leave and start over, just cut out of town, cut from our job, cut from our family, cut from whatever it is that's messing up our life. Um, in those moments when we're ready to run, God will come to us too, and he'll find us. And he'll say, Chris, where are you going? Where have you come from? Where have you headed? Um, I think you're running the wrong way. You know, uh, there's a real lesson here about not running away from things, right? Instead, running toward them. And, uh, and the Lord's saying, I hear you, and I see you. We live in such a day and an age where there's so much loneliness. So many people who are hurting, uh, they're in pain, they're lost. If they don't run away, literally, they're still running away in here, right? And for us, for us, this is an amazing Mother's Day story of how God who's a good father, is also sometimes kind of like a mother too. Who seeks us out, who finds us, who hears us, who sees us in a powerful way that we can know I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this decision. I'm not alone in my future. God is here with me. Um, from my own life, I think of a story of my grandmother. Uh, Granny died a long time ago, but as a kid, um, kind of in the late 60s, uh, she kind of raised all of her kids by then. They were kind of all out and on their own. My mom was headed down to Atlanta, and Another sister was up in D.C., and a couple of kids were around the house. Um, but for my granny, she was at a tough place. She was in a dark place. Um, on the ladies' side of our family in particular, but some of us guys too, we've struggled with mental health. We've struggled with depression. And, and she had gone through a bout where she was at a low point, right? She was ready to run. She was ready to give up. She was ready to quit. Um, and then on top of that, she had been in the hospital with blood clots in her leg. And back in the early 70s, if you got a blood clot in your leg, it wasn't a guarantee, right, that you were going to come out the other side of that. And uh, 
And so I think in many ways, what I know of my granny's story is that was a season of her life where she felt like she was ready to give up. And she was ready to quit. And she had no more need to live or be around or keep on going. And kind of unexpectedly, a bit of a surprise, um, her first grandson was born and popped up on the scene. And uh, my grandfather says, Chris, uh, you saved your granny's life uh, because God gave her a gift that gave her a reason to keep going when she didn't want to keep going in any other area of her life. Um, and looking back, that was really neat. Because for me, she was a huge part of my life. If I was not in school, I was not here in Georgia. I was up in Livingston, Tennessee, hanging out with my granddad and granny. All summer long, spring break, whenever it was, uh, I was there all the time. And so she had a huge hand in raising me. She had a huge hand in helping me follow Jesus. Um, and so for my own life, um, I remember one of those times when my granny, Andrew and I had just gotten married. Granny was headed downhill. She had congestive heart failure, wasn't doing good again. I thought it may be the end. And so there was a moment where I took 10, 15, 20 minutes and prayed, really cried out to the Lord, Lord, would you please heal my grandmother and give her a longer time with our family? And, uh, and that was a moment in my life where I felt like God heard me. I felt like God saw what I was going through. And so in that moment, um, the Lord stepped in and blessed me with, uh, and her, I guess with about three more years of a lifetime journey. And she didn't go be with the Lord until it was about, I guess, three or four weeks before she died. She heard I was headed to seminary and full-time ministry. And, uh, and so that, for me, that was special to be able to kind of send her off knowing that her first grandbaby um, was going to do something for Jesus. And uh, so anyway, that's my story. And every so often in our lives, there will be those moments where our heart misery cries out so deeply. We just want to know, Lord, do you hear me? Just want to know, do you hear me? Just want to know, do you see what I'm going through? And the good news of Hagar, and the good news of these moms who are challenged, both Sarah and Hagar both, is yes. There is a God in heaven. He sees you. He hears you. And he loves you. And when you feel most like you don't count anymore, he'll let you know you do. And may that be a blessing for our moms, our dads, our kids, and all of us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, I thank you again for our moms today, our grandmothers, all who are with us. Lord, and just the treasure they are. It's their love that nurtures us through much of life. We just pray your blessing upon each and every family today. 
those who are able to celebrate with mom, and those who are missing mom in a deep way today. Lord, because you have already taken them home. Um, Father, I pray for those that feel lost at the moment. I know I was talking with a church member this week who was feeling lost. And I pray that you'll find them and that they can know that you hear them. And even more, that they can know that you see them and you will show them the way home and the way to blessing and the way to a positive future. So Lord, if anyone is in that place this morning, pour into their heart in Jesus' name. Amen.